Juggling motherhood and modern day life can be stressful and relentless, but it doesn't need to be this way. The Joy of Being podcast is the answer to maternal mental health, bringing sustainable relief and calm to hardworking mums everywhere so that you, your family and work can thrive. My name is Marina Pearson and I'm your host, transformational coach and mum who loves to interview business owners, transformational professionals, and creatives to have insightful conversations about what it takes to really live a life that is thriving, fulfilling, and full of joy. And today I've got some amazing news. You can now order your very own version of the Joy of Being book, supporting hardworking mums to stress less and live more. If you're the type of mum who is struggling with the burdens of motherhood or modern day life, then this will be a perfect book for you. If you're curious, you want to know more and you want to see what's up with that book, you can do so at www.marinapearson.com slash order. And on today's show, I have the beautiful Del Lady Jones. Del, somebody I met last year at the 3PGC conference in LA. And I was immediately drawn to her uh, because of her warmth and her beautiful nature. So we got talking and found that we had a lot in common. And last year I went through a major breakup, but also I found out that I'd been living in a narcissistic relationship uh, for about two years with this man and didn't even realize until I spoke to Adele. And it was during that time that I realized that I needed to end it and we needed to move on. So with her help, uh, I did that very thing. So today we decided to talk about this very uh, important subject um, on how to identify narcissism, uh, how to, why we get into narcissistic relationships, why it's so difficult for us to leave, and what we can do if we need to leave and we know that we need to leave. So if you think you're in a narcissistic relationship, you're not quite sure, or you know that you are and you want to leave, but you don't know how, or you keep finding yourselves repeating the same old patterns, then this is going to be an amazing episode for you, as Dell is really quite the expert in this field. Enjoy. So welcome everybody and on today's show I have Del Adley Jones. It's Adley right? Oh my god is it? No it's Adley. Adley. Del Adley Jones. Adley Jones. Oh my god I just completely like sorry. Don't worry. I think I've been known to use the wrong name in the past so for other people when I'm interviewing them. And I'm really excited to be having this conversation with Del um, because, in fact, this is very, very close to my heart. In fact, it's something that I've been through. And um, Del was actually somebody that I turned to when I needed some help with what I was going through um, with regards to being in a narcissistic relationship. So we thought it'd be really helpful and useful to be having this conversation for those of you that think you might be for those of you that think you might be um and for those of you that are feeling like you know that you are but you're just finding it really hard to kind of maybe even get yourself out when you know you need to so welcome Dal. oh my gosh i'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Uh, me too um it, it is it's just it's something that you know um having having grown up in a narcissistic environment myself and finding myself in quite a few narcissistic relationships. Um, I'm definitely not a therapist, but I, I do, I am an expert in this field. Um, 
And I was just telling you that prior to coming across the principles, most of my coaching clients were people that were suffering from narcissistic abuse. And um, I sort of found myself throwing the baby out with the bathwater a bit. I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, there are no diagnoses. There's no personality disorders. I can't talk about this anymore. And what I've come to see is that it's such an important subject. And I think viewed through the lens of the three principles, um, it's certainly something that it was coming across the principles that gave me the freedom that I was looking for, um, for the 25 years I was in conventional therapy, trying to make sense of, you know, my childhood and why I kept finding myself in, not always, I had lovely relationships too. I'm definitely, you know, I would ping pong, but I would find myself back in those narcissistic relationships. And I just didn't want to be doing that anymore. And I needed to gain clarity. And um, when I worked with clients, a lot of them used to say to me, can a narcissist ever change? That was like the number one question, because everybody wants their partner to revert back to that wonderful Prince Charming they were at the beginning of the relationship. And conventional therapy would say to you, um, no, they cannot change. It's or, or very, very rarely, if ever. And what I want to say is through the understanding of the principles is that I believe that anyone, if they really understand this understanding and know where their experience is coming from, can change. They can change their behavior. But at the same time, um, you know, the, the word there is if they want to change, they can change their behavior. Now, a lot of people that are engaging in narcissistic behavior don't want to change because they're so, they, they're so locked into their thinking, they don't even challenge it. So that is a challenge. So when I say the three principles, I really, really want to make sure everybody out there who's listening understands that, um, I'm not labeling a person or judging a person. I'm simply going to be pointing to a set of behaviors that are due to the thinking that that person has. So instead of calling it narcissistic personality disorder, or, you know, um, I call it just narcissistic behavior, because a behavior can change. If the thinking changes, the behavior can change. So it's not a sort of set personality disorder that is set in stone. It's just someone's thinking. I love that because what that suggests is that um, it's just a bit like when we were talking about this before, it's a bit like having a map and understanding where you're at and where they're at. And it's not about who they are. It's just about where they are um, in their level of thinking and consciousness at that time. So it's not personal, which is really Mm -hmm. quite incredible to see it that way. yeah, so it, it's it's just pointing pointing to where they're at. Mm. Yeah, and it, and I also want to make sure that this isn't you know I think we live in a narcissistic culture right, right now. We do. It's 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 um it's it's there's an epidemic. It's you know especially with social media and and you know status and power and all these things and people people looking for that sort of um you know to be special. And when you're suffering from this, you know behavior pattern, it's very painful for everybody involved, including the person that's acting in a narcissistic behavior way. So it's not a dirty word. It's not used to shame people. It's just um, we are highlighting 
something that can be very, very painful. It's a relationship dynamic that um, can cause chaos for both people involved in the relationship. And so really, you know, the more clarity I can bring to the situation, for me, I would say it's, um, you know, it's not saying, oh, it's just your thinking, stay in a painful or, or, you know, abusive relationship by any means. But just understand, um, more, as I was saying to you, more importantly, I don't go into the, why a narcissist, why somebody that engages in narcissistic behavior, you know, what's the origins of that? Um, did they have a painful childhood? Is it genetic? Is it environmental? I don't really want to go down that route because, you know, we can, we can justify a lot of things for certain types of behavior. But what I'm hoping to do here is to really bring clarity so that somebody that might be suffering can see, number one, um, why they're engaging in that type of behavior if they are somebody that's, that's displaying that narcissistic behavior. And more importantly, for the people that are in those relationships – to gain clarity as to, you know, what got them, what was their thinking that got them in that relationship in the first place and what's keeping them there. So it's really pointing to freedom, not, not the cause behind the thinking, but, but just freedom from it. Love it. Love it. Um, because anybody that's listening here today, they might think that they're in one. And mm-hmm. so I guess the question might be, um, how do you know? How do you even know? Well, I'm going to use my little list here because because <laughs> I've written 10, 10 um, signs, you know, tra- common traits of narcissistic behavior. And I just want to make sure that I don't give you eight instead of 10. So I'm going to <laughs> refer to my little list every now and again. So I'm just, first of all, I'm going to describe what are some of the common traits of narcissistic behavior. And then I'll go on to uh, describing some of the relationship, some, how you might feel in that relationship. And if they, if they hit a chord and it's something that you recognize either in your partner or recognize for yourself within the relationship, you know, that alone will give you clarity. And then we can sort of move on to, to what's, you know, as I said, what your thinking is and what, what attracted you to that personality and what kept you in that relationship if it's painful and hurtful to you. So first of all, um, one of the main characteristics is that narcissists feel special and they feel superior to others. So that um, their their need to be special, um, they like to be around other special people that recognize how special they are. So the ordinary or the mundane is like a complete nutter turn off for them. Um, and they want sort of recognition of being special, even when the circumstances don't warrant that. You know, they tend to live, well, that actually brings me to number two. They tend to live in a fantasy world that's, that supports this delusion of grandeur, that they're special. And, um, um, you know, they end up believing their own fantasy. They end up believing um, the story that they've created around themselves protect themselves um usually they're you know again i'm going in the back backwards a bit but they usually it is at the center a very fragile sense of self that is needed to construct this false self of, of superiority and grandiosity and and it's this fantasy life so their um number three is they're excessively concerned with appearance status and image so again um 
you know, they, they, they choose a partner that they feel will make them look good. They're special too. They're either uniquely beautiful physically or, or have some status. <laughs> For those of you who can't see, <laughs> that made me laugh. I love that. <laughs> Marina enjoyed that one. So, um, yeah, so they, they, they just want to be associated with, with you know, other high-level people in their, in their mind. You know? So they go to the right places, they drive the right car, they go to the right restaurants. They're surrounded by beautiful, glamorous people is what I'm saying. Um, number four, lack of empathy. That's a huge one, actually, besides, besides the superiority and grandiosity, the lack of empathy. You know, they don't have the ability to, to put themselves in somebody else's shoes. Um, they um they basically see themselves as the most important person in the world and everybody else is there to serve them to serve their needs they tend to sort of um almost um observe people as objects just to just to be there for them so it's so hard for them to even as i say imagine what another person might be feeling and thinking so number 5 they need constant praise and admiration so um, it's almost like they have a balloon inside of them. And unless they are being fed constantly, blowing themselves up with, you know, people adoring them or recognizing them, that balloon starts to deflate. And, um, and that's very painful for them. So they constantly are choosing people to, to, to support them and bolster them up. So that's that's number five. Number six, they're highly, highly sensitive to criticism or perceived slights. Um, Anything that threatens to, you know, burst that that fantasy bubble they live in, they'll fiercely defend and they will become quite aggressive and attack. Um, Again, I'm just going to remind everybody, this is just pointing to behavior that somebody is engaging in. It's not who they are. Um, and I could keep saying that, but hopefully people will have heard it and keep remembering that. Um, so what happens is people that who, um, you know, around narcissists end up um, being, being very, um, tread very carefully. So the number seven is selfishness and sense of entitlement. Again, you know, they're the special one. They're the most important one. So, um, Everything has to be around them. They have to, um, they expect people to just set aside their wants and desires and just put you first, put them first rather. Um, they also, um, yeah, they're entitled to, to, to have life run on their terms completely. Number eight, um, they frequently um, intimidate and demean and bully or belittle other people. If they feel that somebody is not adoring and worshipping them, um, they will drag that person down. They'll belittle them or say, you know, that person's stupid or uh, they'll name call insults and threats and, um, you know, anything to force that person back down into submission. The number nine, they feel that the rules don't apply to them. Again, because they're special, uh, they believe that they're above social norms and even above the law. And if they even as far as if they get pulled over for a parking ticket, I mean, a speeding ticket, and clearly the speedometer was showing, you know, 85 miles an hour, you know, the, um, the policeman's an idiot. He's a jerk. He's a whatever. You know, it's, they, they don't um, 
they don't take responsibility for for their part in anything. So which is leading to number 10, which is they blame others. Anytime there's any conflict, um, they see themselves as the victim and it's always the other person's fault. That is also why you'll see in therapy so many of the times it's the partner of the um, of the of the person that's engaging in narcissistic behavior that goes into therapy because they have absorbed all that sort of it's you, it's you, it's you, and they end up believing that it is them. There's something wrong with them. What what can they do to make the relationship work? You know, as I said earlier, um, I think of of camera. I can't remember if I said it on camera or not, but I'll say it again. But it is that usually the the relationship is so beautiful in the beginning, and and if you feel that you are the one at fault, then at least you feel there's a chance that you can change yourself and therefore you know heal the relationship. Mm-hmm. So, um, but again, um, people engaging in narcissistic behavior often don't go and seek help because in their mind there's nothing wrong with them. It's always somebody else's fault. So why on earth would they go and try and you know? discover more about themselves, which again is what I was saying about the, um, um, you know, about not focusing on changing the other person, like going, oh, wait a minute, I heard that, you know, with the three principles, somebody can change, let me change them. They have to want, they have to see that something's not working in their life or in their relationship. Therefore, they, they, they want to see something differently. So I'm, I'm basically saying, don't go, don't go running off and trying to three p your your partner, hoping that they will see the light. It's really this is really about you know the person that's in the relationship that's suffering and um, seeing, as I said, what what thinking they have that that has them in this relationship. So that's that as far as the traits. So, and I could move on to, you know, signs are in a narcissistic relationship, but I, I want to hear what you have to say after I read off all those traits. <laughs> were, you, were you ticking them away there? Or? <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah, there was a sense that, um, it was interesting, I was just kind of reflecting back on that. And I don't think I ever heard my ex ever say sorry. Mm-hmm. Not once, not ever. Yeah. And, and what I realized from that was that, there's so much pain in thinking that um, there's actually something really intrinsically wrong with him um, because to say, he would say, or, you know, to say sorry is to like be beneath someone mm-hmm. um, and there's, you know, should never apologize about who you are. But what was interesting to me is, is that it's too painful to apologize because it means that there's something wrong with me. And then I might have to actually believe what I think about myself because often it's not even about, I'm not apologizing about me. I'm just apologizing about the behavior and that behavior isn't personal. It's just um, an apology in that moment about where I was in that moment, not about who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. So I never understood that until I started to realize, Oh my God, I think he's a narcissist or at least not him. He's, he has narcissistic behavior. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then what was interesting about this all was um, then I realized, oh, my God, he constantly blames the world at large. He's always the victim. He never takes responsibility. Um, 
you know, he, he doesn't take responsibility for his his feelings or his actions or um, and real like real threats like I want to kill that guy or I want to kill that man or you know I'm going to go down there and I'm going to you know beat him up because he hasn't done what he's supposed to do mm-hmm. and and it was yes. yeah. Yeah. it's it's a very um, you know when I was in therapy they used to describe it as you know there's a river of rage <clears throat> that is running through these people these people that are engaging in this behavior and it's it, it really is a I mean, you have to think about it as, again, as I said, somewhere way, way back, you know, I'm not, there's still debate as to whether it's environmental or, or hereditary, but somewhere, for some reason, their um, total um, failure to understand who they really are at their essence, you know, that they are perfect and whole and healthy and there's nothing wrong with them. For whatever reason, they don't get to sort of feel that. Therefore, this false images created and and that's where they feel their safety is is in that image because they feel at their core they're damaged and broken so they will as you say describe they'll threaten to hurt kill anybody that is 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 threatening that image it's almost like um you know that it's almost like there's a very very young child emotionally inside them and just like you know little kids are like yeah I'm gonna kill you you know it's sort of a you know it's but it's that sort of in that in that moment to them they they feel so threatened that feels the only thing they can do to protect themselves and it's an amazing strategy like if if that's you know I've seen so many different strategies that we all use you know and and sarcasm is definitely one of mine um, for many years and until you start to see it doesn't work or it's not working for you. Um, but there is this sense of like everybody else is to blame and then there is this victim mentality yeah. that I am the victim of everything and everyone and here we go again and oh poor me. Um, no, exactly. And I was sharing with you earlier that, you know, again, and something I learned, you know, back in conventional therapy, but I think it's, it's really great because it points to a fundamental, you know, understanding with the three principles is that we are all whole and perfectly well. We all have resilience. Um, nobody has more than anybody else. We all have ac- access to that well-being that is within every single one of us. And what happens is for certain people who are compassionate and loving when somebody feels like a victim you want to help but what happens with and I was describing this visual to you that um my therapist years ago told me and which was very helpful to me it was that you know when you pass some you pass a hole and there's a piece of string you know sticking out that hole and you hear somebody shouting from inside the hole help me help me you know help pull me out grab that other end of the string and, and, and a rope rather and pull me out. Now, if you're compassionate, you, you can want to help somebody. So you sort of pick up this string and before you know it, you know, you haven't pulled them out. They've pulled you back in the hole. Now, how many times, you know, that happens within these relationships because, because often people that are attracted to um, narcissistic behavior or people demonstrating that rather are, 
they're loving, they're compassionate. And that's why the person that operates in that behavior too is attracted to the other person. It's like, oh my God, this is what I need. Somebody that's caring and adoring and loving and puts my needs ahead of their own. It's the perfect combination. And I'll talk about that later because it's really important to understand, um, you know, I'll say ours because we were in narcissistic relationships. But for us, it's very important to understand what our thinking was, you know, what the dynamic was that, that we send out this signal to narcissists. I don't anymore, thank God, and I don't think you, you will anymore. But I was certainly putting out that signal. And what I wasn't seeing is that the person in the hole had the ability to climb out of that hole on their own, just like we all do. That's what the three principles points to is that person has innate resilience, innate well-being, and we don't have to negate ourselves because they're calling help, help, help. Yeah, and you know what? That's something that I've really seen in the last couple of weeks. Um, the ex is the ex now, and um, he his financial situation isn't all that wonderful to the point where he can barely, I don't know. Anyway, he asked me for money, and then I told him that I, I, I couldn't and I wouldn't um, and then, um, he told me that, you know, he had an idea and the idea was I would go to the bank and get a loan and then he'd pay me back. And I'm like, hang on, <laughs> paying interest on that. And I, there's no guarantee that you can pay me back. And I was like, well, no, I don't think so. Um, but thank you so much for thinking of me now. What's really interesting about all of this was that different to how it used to be, which is, oh my God, I I really like, you need my help. Therefore I help you. Now what I'm saying is, is that I can feel that compassion. I can feel that love towards someone, but I don't need to do anything about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I can just be there and experience that for myself and, and send out whatever I need to send out, but I don't need to, do anything for them. And that's been hugely liberating for me. Um, but also it just means that they have to get really creative about solving their own issues and problems. And clearly he's creative because he came up with a wonderful idea that you should go to the bank. I said, wow, that's really, I love your ideas. I actually started to have fun with it. I was like, you're really creative. Yeah, really, exactly. I agree with it, but. Yeah, it's it is it's it is it's just like you know with our clients, you know one of the main things we need to see is is you know they have their own resilience, they have their well being. We are there just pointing. We don't have to rescue our clients. We don't have to. So why on earth would we rescue our partners? I mean, you know, especially when it's a dysfunctional relationship. Yeah. So, so um. I'm curious about what you mean by dysfunctional because I hear that word being banded around and what I yeah. what I would describe as a dysfunctional relationship is um a relationship that's not not based on on real love and compassion that there's manipulation in the relationship there's um well as i mentioned some of the you know like i think a relationship that that involves um that's not reciprocal that it's a one, you know one-sided relationship i i would describe as 
you know, I mean, we're all going to go through, you know, as we're human beings, we're going to go up, we're going to go down. There's going to be times when I'm down and, and my partner is up and, and he is there for me and he's incredible. There are times when I'm up and he's down and, and we will go through that flow, but it's reciprocal. It's not a one-way street. Um, and then the other thing is if, if I am being shamed and bullied and manipulated and lied to, you know, that to me is, again, I use, I will use the word dysfunctional. It's that it's dysfunction to me just basically means what I would consider unhealthy. So pretty much it's, it's, if you're in pain in the relationship and it's, again, it's not, you know, obviously we take responsibility for, we create our own reality via our thinking, but if there is actually actions within the relationship that are, you know, it's not just, Hey, that's your thinking, <laughs> you know, then I think it's just, you take a step back. Mm-hmm. And as I say, those, those 10 traits, um, um, I'm in the midst of writing a book I mentioned to you because I think that, um, as I mentioned, I, I used to coach a lot of people with, from suffering from narcissistic abuse. And when I came across the principles, I was like, oh, you know, I, I can't do that anymore. There's no such thing as, you know, a diagnosis and a personality disorder. And, and then I started getting people coming to me saying, oh, I heard you're an expert on narcissistic abuse. And and, that, and then once I started sharing what I saw through the understanding of the principles, it was remarkable. I mean, I, I just saw people really go, the lights went on and I thought, oh my God, because it can be, it can scramble your brain. That's the only way I can put it. Yeah, it, really it, felt like my, it felt like my brain was in a washing machine. Exactly. You can't see up from down. You're so... <laughs> I used to say it was used to be like being on a, an America round that that sort of the controls went crazy and you know you're sitting on hanging on for dear life it's spinning around faster and faster and faster the horse is going up and down up and down and then finally you sort of like get flung off it you're lying on the ground and then somebody comes up to you and says oh dear what's happened you're on the ground let me help you up and there's that honeymoon period again and then you're back on the roundabout and it goes crazy again mm-hmm. and it's how how often do you want to keep doing that? So should I mention some of the signs if you're in a, a narcissistic relationship? Yeah, just to, um, well, first of all, one of the things is, this is what gets us into them because nobody signs up to be abused. So usually in the beginning, we, there's what we call love bombing, which is, you know, it, it's it's usually a whirlwind re- beginning, you know, Isn't you're on a pace. Relationships though? There's a difference. There's a, there's a speed at which there's a, it, there's, it's almost like, well, for two things, they feel special. So they're looking for somebody else that's special. So they're not really seeing you for who you are. They have an image of what, you know, it's like, imagine a picture frame and sort of you're in that picture frame and you're the ideal mate and they are, oh my God, you're beautiful. You're so intelligent. You're so this, you're so that. You're so special. You deserve somebody as special as me. (laughs) So they really put you on this pedestal. They tend to move very, very fast. I mean, you know, engagements, rings on your finger within the first few weeks. Um, it's an idealized love. Or move it's, in, move in. Or move in. Oh, exactly. Move in. Um, really try and, and, and not, 
They want to secure the relationship very fast, either with a ring or moving in or whatever. It's, 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 a, it's a speed beyond normal. I mean, we all get infatuated in the beginning. Of course we do. And then, but, you know, we see each other's chinks. We, we accept people as, you know, for, for our humanness and, and, we, and our frailties. We've got the frailties. They've got frailties. And we just move into a lovely, gentle um, place of acceptance and real love, deep love, not infatuation. But that's not the narcissist. They um, they're so, can be so charming, so um, seductive, and often... One of the seducing um, methods they use, they don't come across as I'm superior, I'm arrogant, I'm, I'm, you know, this. It's like, poor me. You know, I was a victim of something, either my childhood or my previous relationship. And usually being the loving, caring souls that get themselves involved in these relationships. That's just like, oh, my God, we feel for them. We, we care about them. We want to take care of them. And, and that's where that first sort of you know enmeshment happens that 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 because because we're you know two healthy people or rather two unhealthy people get together and two healthy people get together you'll never get a healthy person with an unhealthy person you meet your match so as much as i'm pointing out these traits of narcissistic behavior it's really important to see the, and again, I'm using labels. And I'm probably, I'm getting. I feel the three P police are going to come and get me. But um, it's oh good, <laughs> or anybody listening. But there is some, and I don't. I'm just going to say unhealthy thinking. But you know, just for clarity, I'm going to call it unhealthy thinking. I know in the principles, there's no thinking that's unhealthy. It's all all right. Um, but if we, if we are experiencing thinking that creates a situation that we suffer in. I think it's okay to sort of look at that thinking and go, hmm, is that helpful? You know, is, is that something that I want to continue doing if it gets, keeps getting me in these situations? Mm-hmm. So anyway, so there being perfect um, love bombing beginning. And I've t- the second one is the vulnerability, which, I, which I've shared with you, the, their ability to, to win you over and, you know, you feel sorry for them, you want to rescue them and, and all of that. Um, but then what starts to happen when they feel safe and they feel that they've got you, <laughs> then it starts to feel like it's their way or the highway. Mm. It's, you know, there's only room for one set of needs and wants, and that's theirs because they're special and unique. And you, by now, have fallen off your pedestal and you're just ordinary. <laughs> you're like all the other ordinary people they've met in the past that have disappointed them and not being the perfect love they ever thought that they deserved. And especially if you start saying, hey, hey, what about me? I mean, that is the sort of, that's when it starts, that the conflict starts um, because there is no room for you and your needs. It's just about them. So if you're feeling that way, again, it's a sign that that, that you could be in a narcissistic relationship. Number four, gaslighting. Oh my goodness, this is a crazy one. This this is what will really make you feel like you're going crazy. Um, again, as we mentioned, um, the rules don't apply to them. So lying is 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 permittable on their on their half. So even though they may be saying something, 
and you have evidence to the contrary, or it just it, you you sort of know and feel that they're completely and utterly making stuff up, they will deny, 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 and and that's when you start feel like, feeling like you're going crazy. It's like I know what I'm seeing, I know what I'm hearing, but apparently I'm making it all up, and it's not happening, even though it could be happening right there in front of you. It's, it's, it's no, you're crazy. You're mad. You, you know, you're just making stuff up. So, um, number five is walking on eggshells. If you are, you know, and by now you know that it's their way, you know, or the highway. Um, and you know that if you try and, and say, Hey, what about me? What about my needs? Or, or, or you point out that their, you know, their behavior is not, you know, kind or whatever, they will explode. And so therefore, and you have a few of those events and you pretty soon learn to just sort of walk on those eggshells. You know, you don't want the explosive reactions. You don't want the fights. You just want to, you just want to be peaceful and loving. So you end up starting to very subtly, they call it you know, boiling the frog, you know how, I don't know if it's a a real thing that happens, but it's a wonderful metaphor that, you know, a frog is in boiling water, or rather lukewarm or cold water, you start turning the temperature up. And, and and because it's so gradual, you don't feel it, you don't notice it. And before you know it, you know, the water's boiling and you're dead. I mean, you're just floating on the top. It's, it's, it's a very subtle, subtle working and chipping and chipping and chipping away. Um, so the other number six is if you feel like you're your partner's mother, uh, secretary, nurse and concubine. Okay. If you're, um, again, sort of, you know, I, I just say it's like it's it even it's so subtle. It's that that level of entitlement. It's like do this for me, take care of this for me. It's like barking orders at you. Do this, do this, do this, do this. Um, if something is seems boring or ordinary, you know, waste of their time because they're because they're unique and special. So so it's um, they want a lot of you know you to be doing the mundane stuff and even i i throw concubine in because even sex it's like it's like they want sex sex when they want it regardless if you want it or not and it's it, again on their terms so um and then the final one number 7 um quite often and this can be where the gaslighting comes in quite often because of this constant need for adoration um, they, there will be, you know, they, they will have multiple affairs because they're looking for that first flush of love, that infatuation when somebody sees them and absolutely thinks they're perfect, that the knight in shining armor, um, you know, if you like in all relationships, if you're, um, you know, as I said, we, we, we see each other's chinks in our armor. We see each other's frailties. We, we love each other despite that. But that's too painful for a narcissist. They don't want to ever feel that somebody's looked behind that false self and seen the really, you know, really vulnerable. I'm not talking about somebody that acts vulnerable and acts like they're a victim. I'm talking about the real deep, deep, deep seated part of themselves that they feel is is broken and unworthy and unlovable. 
So they will constantly seek the newness of a new relationship while being in the relationship with you because their needs are getting met. There's somebody, as I said, there's been the nurse, the mother, the secretary, and the concubine. So, but they, because they don't have empathy, will will quite often conduct these affairs on the side. So that's pretty much it. Again, did any of that resonate? Yeah, it did, especially the mother. Um, <laughs> especially the mother. It's so interesting. Um, I was just kind of reflecting on um, this part of that, which... Um, we had we brought in three cats. They'd been found in a plastic bag. They were just about to die. Anyway, he found them, and he came in one day and he said, "I'm really sad. I'm really sad." And I said, "Oh, why?" He said, "I found three cat kittens in this bag." And and I said, "Okay, look." And he said, "Can I bring them home like a little child, right?" <laughs> and I said, "Sure, but here on one condition: um, you need to take responsibility for them because I." Um, don't like cats really mm-hmm. anyway um I took them in and he just it was funny because he would change their poo and their pee or whatever mm-hmm. um but when it came to actually sorting finding a new place for them mm-hmm. when it came to actually um paying for their um vaccinations and neutering them Mm-hmm. When it came to um, anyway, I've I've finally placed them today. It's a big day. They're finally out of the house, yeah. um, and it's not like you know. I had a bit of an emotional moment today. I was like, oh my god, um, but they're not here anymore. And I was like, well, that was really easy. <laughs> I just that was super easy. But I was like, if I if I if I just wait for him to do it I could be waiting another year or so mm-hmm. and I just needed it to be done and so I realized oh you know interestingly my behavior I I never said well you actually need to take responsibility for this you're the one that needs to pay for this you're the one that needs to do this because we'd had an agreement I just did it anyway and then started getting pissed off and angry about the fact that Mm-hmm. I'd just taken responsibility for something that I said I wouldn't. And um, that was constant. I would go in and rescue, and therefore it felt like I was his mother. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, and there's nothing that will nullify um, a relationship more than that sort of parent-child dynamic. I mean, it can be, especially when it comes to sex. I mean, who wants to have sex with their with their child or their parent? You know, it's 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 a really... Yeah, it's a it's it's not a healthy it's not a healthy dynamic. So yeah. So um well I know we talked about um talking about some of the some of the thinking that gets people into these relationships and you've touched on a few of them, but um I know that you know we don't have much time left today. So you mentioned that maybe we would do a, a second one where we talk about that, or shall I try and sort of cover it quickly here? Um, well, we do have, we do have a little bit more time. I think we've got about 10 minutes or so. Okay. All right. That should be, that should be enough time. So basically, um, I've mentioned some of these, uh, you know, along the way there is, um, one set of, well, I'll use what the, well, you know, the conventional therapy diagnosis is, but, you know, usually people that are described as having, um, um, 
codependency issues. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> I see, I told you it's going to take another hour. <laughs> That's a whole other podcast. That's a whole other podcast. Okay. <laughs> that is a whole other. But it, it's, it really is, um, that's, that's one of the areas where you, you, have, you can look and see what that thinking is, what thinking is behind, you know, codependent issues. Um, then the other um, um, sort of behavior is, is well, which comes in the codependency is, is, you know, the lack of self-esteem, the sort of the feeling that um, you're not complete and whole as you are. So therefore, somebody that um, has attributes that you feel you are lacking, you're very attracted to. So say in the, in, in the case of, say, a, a classic narcissist, you know, they seem powerful, confident, um, you know, they're charismatic, they, 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 they have all these attributes. And often people that feel, oh, I'm shy, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, they complete me. They complete me is a dangerous um, sentence in my in my world because there's nothing wrong with being madly in love with somebody and saying, oh, you know, you know, my life feels complete with them. But when you're looking to somebody else to bring into the relationship something you feel is lacking in you, that can be troublesome. <laughs> I'll say, I'll put it that way. Um, and I can only talk for myself. Um, in my past, one of my past um, narcissistic relationships, I was shy. I was insecure. And um, I was very attracted to what I saw as a powerful, confident man. Um, I also identified, you know, I felt very wounded as a child and I identified with his wounded child. That's the other thing is like my wounded child you know, sees your wounded child. <laughs> and, and again, this is just thinking. We know it's just thinking. But that thinking, um, you end up feeling safe with them because you're like, because basically you're connecting on that level. So that can get you into that situation. So again, what I'm pointing to is, is really working on or recognizing thinking that is getting you into those relationships. As I said, thinking so thinking of um, I'm not complete as I am. I need them to complete me. Or focusing on somebody else above your own needs, you know, that codependency issue, and then feeling like you can't live without them, that they're the source of your love. And we know in the principles that that is not the case. You know, the love we feel is within all of us, and it is coming through us, up and into us, and towards the other person, but it's never coming from the other person towards you. You're creating that feeling of love. You're generating it. It's generated within you. But, you know, if we believe that it's coming from the other person, we become addicted to that love. We, we, we just feel that we can't live without them. Well, you know, if, they, if, they, if they're out of our lives, we don't have any love anymore. We have no idea that that love is already within us. Then um, the other thing is to um, to really, really understand um, the concept of separate realities. You know, they have their separate reality. They're just behaving on their thinking as we are. We are thinking our thoughts that we take literally or seriously, we believe them, we feel them, and then we act out on them. 
So, and I'm pointing to this because I know in the past when I was in a narcissistic relationship with a partner that was constantly cheating, um, you know, I was basically gas, <laughs> being gaslit. So I, 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 I thought I sent something, but was told I was completely crazy and making it up um, until eventually the evidence was just too much. And then it really did come out. And, but I blamed myself back then. It was prior to the principles. I felt like I must have, you know, I wasn't good enough. If I had been enough of a woman, if I'd been good enough in bed, if I'd been this, I'd been that, been everything, he would have been happy. And that just isn't true. It has nothing to do with you. It's not personal. It's it's absolutely not. But even after the relationship was over, whenever I thought about it, I still felt pain. I still felt that I had um, caused it. And it was through the understanding of the principles that finally gave me the freedom to go, oh, my God, it had nothing to do with me. It had nothing to do with me whatsoever. They were just believing their thinking and then behaving accordingly to that that thinking, which was that they were superior, they were entitled or whatever the thinking was, but had no no bearing on me. And if that's if that's a message I can really get to people is to just um just know it was it's just not about you. And to also just be very cognizant of the thinking that you are believing that is making you stay in a relationship like that or is attracting you into another relationship like that. Because until we really understand you know, the thinking that God is there, we're just going to keep repeating the same ha- habit and pattern. I mean, we all know that thinking is habitual. Some of us have had the thinking since childhood, you know, I'm not good enough or whatever it is. But just to recognize that habitual thinking and to not take it seriously and to not listen to it. I mean, you demonstrated that earlier. It was fabulous when you said you realize just because you have compassion for somebody doesn't mean you have to negate yourself and take care of them. You can still have compassion, but you can also see that they are they have resources just like you do. And, you and also, need- you know, they, they were living before you even met them. So Absolutely. it's an entire lifetime before you met them. Therefore, you know, they, they're still alive. They, yeah. they you know... They've had some ups and downs like we all have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember you and I having this conversation and having this massive insight, um, which was, you, you, it was such a throwaway comment, but what I heard was that I'd been negating my needs um, and putting everybody else's first. Mm-hmm. And it was crazy because at that point, it just made, like, I started laughing, didn't I, or something? Yes. Yeah, I think I started yeah. laughing. And um at that point, I realized, oh, my God, I'm never going to do, I'm, I'm not going to do that again. That makes no sense to me. And it was that insight that then got me to go, we're done. I'm done here. I'm, fucking, yeah. I'm over it. I'm done. And the next day, I just basically told him that we were done, over, mm-hmm. done, moving on. And that was it. That, that was the clarity I needed. And um, interestingly enough, um, what's what's unfolded as a, re- as a result of that was another huge insight into, because one of the things that you were talking about was um, the anger piece, right? That they, they've got this like rage and anger sort of inside of them. And um, 
that was really like my my piece there was I don't want to have to be um at the end of that at the receiving end of that therefore I won't say anything and therefore I walk on eggshells mm-hmm. but two things I know first of all um since getting my voice back actually quite nice putting um limits in and they haven't reacted in the way I thought they would mm-hmm. and secondly realizing that any time that I have been confronted with anger that it wasn't their anger that was creating this fear. It was the story I had about anger was yeah. doing so. Oh my God. All of this thinking just dropped away. And now instead it's very much like haven't had to confront any anger. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, um, cause I'm done. I'm like I did. The fear is, is that it's actually, it's my story around it. It's not, it's not, them so there's been some really and and I want to sort of reiterate this in 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 something that has been so full-on um there have been such wonderful profound insights into the nature of thought and into the nature of dynamics and and relationships that I would never have entertained or even like started to dig into so it's been a blessing Mm -hmm. oh absolutely did you find that like that's oh, the- yeah I just you know oh my gosh I, I there's so many you know as, as again I think you know I, I think a lot of this this thinking just even hearing you say you know you you developed a story around anger you know anger was you were you were frightened of anger and and I mean so many of these little sort of stories we 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 create in childhood and a lot of also with this sort of you know a lot of us that find ourselves in these narcissistic relationships later in life, grew up in them. And we learned certain patterns of behavior. You know, if there was a, a parent that that um, was quick to, to, to get angry or to rage, it was like, you know, you end up thinking as children innocently. We're just trying to cope with the situation. And we think, you know, and especially back then, I remember my mother, you know, quite innocently saying, you're driving me crazy. And so we we are taught to believe that we, can cause other people's feelings and vice versa, that they cause our feelings. So I think it's it's really great. Like you say, you have these insights of, oh my God, this is when I first created this story. It's just a story. And I thought it was real. And you know, and I exactly I've I've learned so much about myself. I've seen how when I say learn, I mean I get to experience the expansiveness of who I am now because I'm not living in those self-limiting stories that got me into those relationships. I love seeing the the sort of capacity for me to show up in life that I wasn't before. So, yeah, I, I, all of it has been amazing, all of it. Every single, I always say every single experience I've ever had in life is amazing because it's, you know, helped me get to where I am today. That's and extremely really, hopeful, Del, you know, especially if anybody's listening and they, they're, they're in, the, in it. Um, that at any point they can see something really differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it was actually, ironically, um, a very very painful pa- uh, breakup in the past that um, that I had a lot of thinking about. <laughs> My thinking was driving me crazy, 
And that's when I was in an airport and I saw the book, Stop Thinking, Start Living. And I was like, oh, please, God, stop thinking. <laughs> I need that book. And it was, it was um, a three principles book. And so that, that was the beginning. And again, I think, oh, my God, I'm so glad I was in so much pain that I saw this title and I thought, that's for me. And it has, you know, this is back in 2009. And this has, you know, been my, the understanding has just completely and utterly just um, brought me the freedom, as I say, that I've always been looking for in my life. And I'm so grateful for all the experiences that got me to that point and, and all those after, of course, but the painful ones, I'm glad I went through everything. The most, isn't it? It seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Del, thank you so much for coming on today. It was so beautiful. And I just really felt um, that there was a real flow to this conversation and hopefully Anybody that's been listening in, it's been useful and, and hopeful. So if somebody wants to get in contact with you because they're like, oh, my God, I am in a narcissistic relationship and they need to get the hell out, or um, I don't know if I am. It seems like I might be, but I might need some help in, in deciphering whether or not I am or whatever else. How can they contact you? Um, just reach out to me at uh, delladjones.com. Um, sorry, hang on. That's, that's my website. No, delladjones at gmail.com. So, um, yeah, just reach out there. It's the easiest. Or go to my website and you can contact me through the website. But, um, yeah, this has been such a pleasure. And I, I want to thank you so much for, for um, reaching out to me because I think this was the subject I was – thinking maybe didn't fit into the principles, but now I see it's such an important subject to talk about through the lens of the principles. And I've already started writing my book about it. So it's flowing out of me. (laughs) So thank you for that. Thank you so much, Del, for not only being on the show, but also for having helped me hugely um, in terms of my own situation. So thank you. Thank you. And until the next time, bye-bye for now. And there we have it, another amazing episode of The Joy of Being. And if you'd like a more personalized touch to live a stress-free life, then why not find out more about The Joy of Being Retreat, an intimate four-day profound experience at a luxury venue in Javier, Spain, where you get to experience your inner calm and peace of mind by slowing down and making space. To find out more, email me at marina marinapearson.com with Joy of Being Retreat in the title. If you loved what you heard here today and it's been helpful, why not subscribe or share the podcast with others? So until next week's episode, remember you are the joy you seek.